0: Well, I want to begin uh, today's message by looking at uh, a couple verses. Uh, And if we could get the next slide up, that'd be great. We're considering the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And I just want you to see that whatever these things mean, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting or eternal life, uh, and even the closing word of the creed itself, Amen, Amen. All of it is wrapped up in the person of Christ. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 11 verse 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Again in Revelation 3.14, Jesus speaking to the churches. And he says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen. He is the final word of the Father. God has nothing to say that he hasn't fully said in Jesus and continues to fully say in Jesus, For he is the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation, and I would say the beginning of God's new creation, uh, for he is the firstborn over a new creation, uh, and we are his children. What I want us to be considering today uh, is what it means to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Uh, and I, I begin here because we aren't preaching if we're not talking about Jesus. Uh, the power of, of these statements are wrapped up in the person of Christ. In fact, if you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when we talk about resurrection, when we talk about eternal life, we need to think in terms of not immortality or uh, duration of time but we need to think of it in terms of relationship increasing degrees of intimacy until it reaches its fullness we're told in first corinthians uh, in chapter 13 that love alone lasts that the object of our faith and hope jesus christ himself will one day be before us face to face his resurrection life and in, resu- in our resurrected bodies, we will see Him. Faith and hope will no longer be necessary. But love is the thing that continues. And I want us to think in terms of resurrection and eternal life in this relational way. Because that's the whole essence of this creed. Uh, and, and why it is that we say these words week after week. He is the center of all that we're talking about today. So there are kind of three things that I want us to look at in regards to these statements. I want us to consider the resurrection of the body as the purifying hope of the believer. I want us then to look at the abundant life or the life everlasting, and I think probably a better way that the creed um, should have been stated is, I believe in eternal, the life, the resurrection of the body and eternal life because life everlasting does seem to speak to duration. Uh, But living forever isn't fun if it's not built around something meaningful. Uh, So, life everlasting as the abundant life. And then finally, that final word, amen, uh, I want us to consider it in terms of the God of yes. When we say amen, we're saying, Lord, let it be according to your word, according to who you are, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in King Jesus. So, why don't we begin by considering the resurrection of the body or the purifying hope. Now, there are two verses Uh, that I'd like us uh, to start with, and that is first found in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, uh, speaking to his disciples, uh, he just got done telling them that he's going to die. And death is something that we need to understand. Uh, humanity is driven, as Ernest Becker said, by uh, the denial of death. That every, As Becker argues, that, that all of human civilization is ultimately an elaborate, symbolic defense mechanism against the knowledge of our own mortality. And, and this is even played out uh, in the Upper Room Discourse, for Jesus just got done telling his disciples that he's going to be crucified again. And they're not getting it. And Peter's telling Jesus that he'll never deny him. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. You guys don't know yourselves. You don't understand my mission. And they're all sad because of what he said. And he says this to him. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Uh, that I go to prepare a place for you and he goes on to say if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also Uh, now here's the thing what does he mean by preparing a room for us if you have the King James I like it because it says mansion Um, and I think that what Jesus is specifically pointing to is he's he's preparing a body for us uh, preparing a body for glory Uh, now It's maybe that he's preparing an actual place and I hope it's a cool room, but I believe even what he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where's the place that he went before he went to the right hand of the father? This, I think this is an important nuance because I think that that John 14, one, one to two is actually giving us kind of a two step reality is that the first place that he prepares is on the cross. And even for us who are awaiting you, there is no resurrection until there's first what? Death. And Jesus prepares a place for all of us through the work on the cross. And so he is lifted up onto the cross. The first lifting up is onto the cross of Calvary. The second lifting up is the ascension to the right hand of the Father as he has conquered death and the dominions of darkness and the devil. And so I think it's interesting for us when we think about the resurrection of the body, we need to recognize that we are confronting death, but death for the believer has lost its sting because Jesus has conquered death. He's going to prepare a place for us. And this is a purifying hope. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. It says, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's The the hope in the return of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus returns, uh, for those that are already dead, it says they will be resurrected. And those who are alive still when he returns will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. uh, Which means really fast. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. Uh, So when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, I'm going to talk to you about what he is like in just a second. We'll consider First Corinthians 15 and the metamorphosis that occurs in resurrection. But I want you to note something about this, because what I'm concerned with is that as the church has kind of moved away from the obsession that was found in evangelicalism throughout the 80s, really through the 70s, uh, 80s and 90s, which all around, uh, and maybe even early 2000s, I, I came out of a movement uh, that was obsessed with prophecy and the return of Jesus, and, and ever since Hal Lindsey wrote that incredible book that, uh, that Orson Welles himself narrated, The Late Great Planet Earth, and in case you never saw the documentary, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, but the late great planet Earth it ended up moving toward this idea that we can predict when Jesus is going to come back, and it led to this, all sorts of obsessions. And I came out of a church that would constantly do New Year's Eve prophecy updates, and it was, you know, pin the tail on the Antichrist night. <laughs> and you had, you had, you know, a, probably, you know, some of the best fiction ever written uh, that was turned into a hit movie starring yours only, yours truly, uh, Kirk Cameron. Uh, called the Left Behind series, even turned into a hit video game that was sold at my church. Uh, <laughs> um, I, and really, I mean, it's offensive on multiple levels, but here's the point, is that, is that those kinds of obsessions, and this is one of the reasons I think it's dangerous to take scripture and turn it into fiction, is the moment it's turned into fiction, it's, it's not to be believed, uh, it becomes speculation, it's no longer a driving force that creates hope, and the hope of jesus 's return we can 't just because we didn 't like the Left Behind series, and many of you did and you 're not going to admit it uh, they, they, the 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 fact is is that there has been a kind of a a reaction against this sort of newspaper theology uh, that 's caused us to lose sight of the importance of of holding tenaciously to the to, to the return of Jesus and even holding tenaciously to the fact that For each one of us, it has been appointed once to die, and then comes the judgment. That we've lost sight of the hope of Christ's return. We we don't want to think, we've fallen into the trappings of Ernest Becker. We're playing the part of, of those who are lost and dying. We are just as afraid of death as they are because we have lost the hope of Christ's return. We've lost the hope that this is not all that there is because we have been so it's been so driven into our psyches that all there is is what you can experience right now and you need to grab a hold of life right now drink and be merry for tomorrow we die is sort of the but we don't even like to add that tomorrow we die we like to pretend that we're never going to die but that's just simply not the reality And when we realize that this life there is suffering, there is tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world, means that we need to have the hope of an eternity with Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, when we believe and we hold and we're driven by this belief that we are going to be transformed, that these bodies that are failing, these bodies that are aging, for those of us that have crossed midlife and are moving into the the last half of life, Uh, we know that this cannot possibly be the best that there is. Uh, Though the outward man is perishing, the inward person is being daily renewed. Renewed by what? By the hope of an eternity. And look what it says. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Maybe the reason the church isn't walking in purity is because we don't believe that Jesus is coming back. But maybe if we have a reignited vision for the return of Christ and for the resurrection of the body. And I'm not talking about all the hype that's driven. Nobody can predict when Jesus is coming back. I don't care how many churches or pastors try to figure out some sort of secret math code in uh, in in the scripture to, to determine. Jesus said, I don't even know. If the Son of Man didn't know when he was coming back, why do we think we can figure it out? Uh, so, So here's the point, though, is that the belief in the resurrection of the body is actually a means toward the purification of the moment. Uh, And so, what kind of body? It says that we will be like him uh, as he was. What kind of body are we dealing with? In, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44, it says, So is it with the resurrection of the dead what is sown perishable what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. A lot of people's concept of what life after death is, is this false idea that we're dealing with disembodied spirits. And, And I do believe that there is, disembodied spirits, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that's not the end game. The end game is the resurrected body, the imperishable body. When Paul uses the term spiritual body, he's not talking about pure spirit. He's talking about the body as God intended it, an imperishable body, a body that can no longer die. Uh, it's true metamorphosis. And all we have to do is look at the resurrection Body of Jesus, one of the things that 's fascinating is that the scriptures are silent um, about what actually occurred but here 's one of the false assumptions that 's often held in the church that jesus 's body resuscitated resurrection is not the same as resuscitation uh, what jesus jesus 's resurrection body was something utterly new, and I think that this is important in the coming life we will be the same. Identical persons that we are now, yet unimaginably different. A great example of this, um, I just listened to this great podcast uh, on metamorphosis. The metamorphosis of of a caterpillar into a butterfly. It was on Radiolab. Did you guys hear this one? It's so good. So I had no idea that this, this happened. So my thought is that a caterpillar, you know, wraps a little cocoon around itself. The chrysalis is formed. And then it, it grows wings, right? Is that what happens? But I don't know if you notice, because I didn't seem to notice this until I listened to this radio lab, that butterflies don't look like caterpillars. <laughs> like anything like caterpillars. <laughs> like not kind of like, oh yeah, it's a caterpillar with wings. It's not what it looks like. Uh, because that's not what happens. A metamorphosis, and I think it's so brilliant that the scripture uses the language of metamorphosis, And it says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. That we are being transformed um, to glory, to glory. That this is the thing, is that the resurrection of body of Jesus was something totally different. Do you ever notice that that he never was recognized once? He was recognized by by his wounds in his hands in his side. And he was recognized by his voice. Uh, When he said Mary, she thought he was a gardener. When he showed himself to the, when he walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they did not recognize him until he broke bread and gave blessing. Then they recognized him. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? It was through relationship, through communication. Even when he was on the seashore and Peter was fishing, it was when he called out to Peter that he became recognized. Again and again, Jesus is not recognized. He appeared in the middle of the room, uh, the disciples. His resurrection body was so strange, it was physical. He ate, he ate food. He was touched. His, it says that's what our hands have handled concerning the word of life, John writes they touched him they saw him but he also walked through walls and he wasn't even recognized when he was in the circle until he said what peace be with you i think it's interesting that the scripture plays on that that jesus himself is our peace who has torn down the middle wall of separation but jesus was different there was something the same and yet utterly different not recognizable Uh, so let me go back to the to the the chrysalis. So what, you know what you know what's actually in a chrysalis? If you were to cut it open, I watched videos of it. It's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> so if you were to cut it open, it's literally just a protein soup. Do you know that? They literally dissolve into liquid. The caterpillar dissolves into liquid and then reshapes itself into something totally new. But here's the crazy thing. So you think, well, it's not the same thing anymore. No, that's not true. Because they did, I don't know how they did this, but they did these weird tests on the caterpillars by shocking them before they became, until they were afraid of shocks, being shocked. And then when they became uh, the cocoon and came out as butterflies, they immediately knew when there was electrical current and the butterflies would all go to one side of the box. They carried in the liquid the DNA, the memory of this thing. So fascinating. So anyway, all I'm saying is that if you're not happy with who you are right now, don't worry, because you're not going to be recognizable. (laughs) It's the main point. I'm going to look like that pastor I told you about that was shirtless in his Instagram. That's what I'm going to look like. (laughs) We're just going to be like, dang, is that you? And you're like, but we're gonna have the same lame voices. That's a bummer. I think that's the, main, that's the main point I want you to know. You will have the same voice for all of eternity. So if you're like, one of those people, I'm sorry. That's just in a beautiful body with this annoying little nasal voice. <laughs> but here's the thing that I want you to understand. The main thing when we think about the resurrection of the body is that, first of all, we're not disembodied spirits. We are physical beings. But we are going to be a physical being made for a new heaven, a new earth. The merging of God's space with man's space. Which means that we need bodies that can actually handle glory. I like to think of it in these terms. Scripture says something fascinating. It says that no person can be in the presence of God and live. Jesus' resurrection body, one of the fascinating things is that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Remember what I said? He takes man, humanity, physicality into God's presence. Fully, where now man's space and God's space become united. We are to be witnesses to what is coming in full. A new heaven and a new earth means a whole new reality of existence. Whatever it meant for Jesus to walk through a wall and at the same time eat physical food shows us that he was made for a new dimension of existence, which is what we have to look forward to. We will be like him. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. How powerful is that? Something totally new. Something absolutely. The point about the future body, N.T. Wright writes in Surprised by Hope, is that it will be incorruptible the present present flesh and blood is corruptible doomed to decay and die that's why Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom the new body will be incorruptible our body will be like his glorious body his bodily resurrection is a sign of our future resurrection and here's the thing without the resurrection body we cannot be in the presence of God says that no person can be in the presence of God and live. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. I like to say it's like standing in the sun. The resurrection body gives us a protective covering where we can actually exist in the sun. For God himself is the light source of the new heaven and new earth. We need glorified bodies to be in the presence of that kind of glory. We, what this means for us is that we get to experience God in a new way and in an even greater intimacy. For all of eternity. Which brings me to the next reality. It's not just the resurrection body that we're dealing with. But it's eternal life. And and I want us to see the abundant life here. Uh, Because in John 10.10. Jesus said this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again in John 17.3. Uh, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I I want to once again point out that this is not about duration of time. I mean, living forever, eternity, thinking, and and this is why I said, I wish I would have said eternal life rather than life everlasting. This is about quality of time. It's about relational time. Jesus himself says, what is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is why I always ask the question, if you want to know what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ in a saving way, it means that you are entering into a relationship with him in which you grow in your knowledge of him. And if you're not growing in relational knowledge of Jesus, there's something fundamentally flawed with your Christianity. Because we don't want to say that eternal life is something that awaits us in the future after the resurrection. Because you don't want to show up in heaven and stand before the king of kings and the lord of lords and hear him utter the words, away from me I never knew you. Because he's not saying I didn't know you. What he's saying is I never was in relationship with you. The access to eternity is defined by the relationship that begins now. This is why he says I have come that they may have life now and have it abundantly why does jesus even keep us on earth after we have entered into that initial act of belief in, in, in regeneration and salvation that he might utilize us as conduits and witnesses to the life that is available to all this is why we when we talk about resurrection when we talk about uh, eternal life these are not individualistic statements we can't talk about the resurrection of our body without talking about the resurrection of our neighbor's body, that we are here to be conduits of God's love to a world that he loved and he died for. This is why I think it's important that we continually ask ourselves, is there something fundamentally different about me? As I go about my business, if, is his business being actuated through my life? Am I living in such a way that the the reality of the living Christ is experienced supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural through my life? Do people see in me Jesus? And I, I think that Jesus said that... The resurrection of the the body is a hope and that hope purifies us in the moment that eternal life is something that begins the moment we put our trust in him and we should be growing in that relational knowledge so that the duration of life, which goes forever, is actually wrapped up in relationship that is increasing in degrees of intimacy. You cannot make life better just by increasing its quantity. What matters most is the quality of that life. So, I just ask you guys that question, is this the quality of life that you're experiencing now? Do you think of everlasting life or eternal life as something that begins after you die? You know, uh, having watched, and I think one of the things that, that is so healthy, I know for my personality as a, as a person that can be pain avoidant in, in my temperament, uh, having been a pastor now for almost 15 years, or I think right around 15 years, I've had to walk through legitimate pain with people, specifically walking through death. Uh, And having walked alongside a friend who was taken by cancer, uh, and I watched the hope of eternity played out before me in such a profound and beautiful way, uh, in which the outward man was perishing literally he was almost no longer recognizable as death began to take its toll upon his body his organs shutting down his body shutting down i mean he was whittled away to a quarter of the man that he was when he was healthy and vibrant we have to believe that that's not the best there is and and, and but what was fascinating is that i have never seen played out so beautifully the robustness of faith is that as the outward man was perishing and there was no ability to enjoy all the things that we enjoy and take for granted every day, like taking your kids to school or, or snuggling your wife or going to the bathroom by yourself, all these things that we don't even think about that are just part of human existence, when all of that's taken away, when you don't realize that you, get a, you don't get to walk your daughter down the aisle when she gets married or even see her graduate. When everything that matters to you, when you, you get to talk to you about your friends running marathons that you used to run, but you don't get to run anymore. When you hear about intimacy and you don't get to make love ever again. All of those things that we think are the beauty of, of human existence, when none of that is available to us. All that we have is is really what what are we living for. And for for my dear friend, it was he was living for Jesus. And I saw a man who was so transformed by the gospel in the face of death that the uglier the, the physical deterioration got, the more beautiful Jesus seemed. And I was like, man, why do we have to wait until we deteriorate to reflect the beauty of Jesus? The powerful thing uh, for for Craig was was this: is that he got saved and then immediately got sick and his entire walk with Jesus for five years was continually reflecting Jesus on a greater level while his outward man was perishing. It was a profound picture of if we don't have this hope, what do we have? Because at any moment we could have everything taken from us. And I believe that Craig entered heaven having been a believer, walking with Jesus for only five years, knowing Jesus more intimately than many people who walk with him for their whole lives. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. But we're too busy allowing the thief to steal and kill and destroy our ability to see Jesus in the moment. Abundant life is life everlasting now and forever. It's knowing Jesus. It's a relational thing. Which brings me to the close, which is this. That our hope in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting leads to the final word of the creed which is the simple statement, amen. Let it be so. Amen is a word of trust. It's a, it's a, it's a statement of, of something that is solid. It's about, about saying yes to God's yes over our lives. And I love what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19-20. through 20, For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it was always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. What does this tell us? It tells us something so beautiful. All the promises of God find their yes in in Him. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here is the key to understanding the gospel is that everything that God has to say is wrapped up in His yes over your life through Jesus. Jesus is the final word of the Father. Whatever God is like, He is like Jesus. And if you can trust in Jesus, then you can trust in God. That's why Jesus himself said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then goes on to say, for no one can actually get to the Father except through me. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. We ask the question, what is God like? He's Christ-like. He's like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? Beautiful, compassionate, merciful, strong, the most perfect Beautiful example of what true humanity is, and at the same time, utterly godlike. And because he's god enough to save us, we can also say that he's man enough to understand us. And therefore, we find in Jesus the promises of God are yes and amen. And I think that that is so powerful. What it tells us is that the whole creed is about God's initiative toward us. We can't reach God in our own effort. When we declare the creed, what we are declaring is a God who takes the initiative to move into our brokenness, to take the, the, the weakness of human flesh and the sinfulness of human existence into himself in such a way that we can be set free to live in the life that is available to us right now as we await with hope for an eternity with him when heaven and earth merge into a whole new thing. For if anyone be in Christ, all things are new. I would say what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. What makes existence meaningful right now is that Jesus is here. He is God's yes over your life. And not just over over your life, but He is God's yes over the humanity in which we are called to be witnesses to. Are we bringing the yes of God through Jesus Christ to the lost world around us? We prayed in this prayer The words, I believe. And the corporate I is in which my own voice participates. The corporate I is the body of Christ. This is what we believe together as the body of Jesus. And until he comes again, we have a responsibility to witness to the statements of this creed. The, the, The creed is not just a bunch of detached statements. I hope you guys have come to understand this. But it's a declaration about a God who desperately wants to be known as He knows and has made Himself utterly available to us. For He is the God of yes. He is our Amen. And we can say Amen at the end of every service when we have talked about the great Amen, which is Jesus Himself. And that is why we at Door of Hope will continue to be committed. We aren't preaching and I should be fired if I'm ever talking about anything but Jesus. I hope, you, I hope people at the end of... Years of going to church here, you go, he just talked about the same thing. Good, then we're winning, okay? (laughs) So, this is our hope. Do you have the hope of eternity written upon your heart? And is that hope of a life face-to-face with Jesus purifying you right now? Are you experiencing life everlasting? Or should I say eternal life now? For this is eternal life that they may know you. Do you know Christ And are you growing in your knowledge of Him? Are you enjoying heaven on the way to heaven? And are you grabbing a hold of the promises of God and recognizing that in Jesus all those promises are yes and amen? I mean, think about the amount of have you ever taken the time to study all the promises of Scripture? One of them, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach. Do you ask him? And do you believe? Do you claim? Yes and amen. Jesus is the yes and amen over that promise. It's all wrapped up in him. He is our salvation. He's our hope. He's our peace. He is our wisdom. He is our eternity. May we find everything in him. Amen? Let's pray.